right, well, after a surprise on Sunday, the Buffalo Bills, of course, one and two on the season. Next up, another road trip, this time a third road trip in four games. Another NFC North opponent, this time up against the Green Bay Packers. The first time they're in Lambeau in a long time, and um, it's it's definitely one of those matchups that, that make, make you think a little bit, and we're going to get into that as we go along here on the Bills Beat. My name is Joe Piscali. With me, as always, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. Thank you all for joining us, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher. We uh, we have gone through and diagnosed as much as we can from, from the uh, Vikings game, tried to figure out exactly what we saw and if it is something that we will continue to see because it was a stark difference over what we saw in the first two weeks of the season. And I think, Matthew, my main line of thinking upon watching that film was about the offense and how they could keep this thing going and if they could keep this thing going because what we saw from them was a lot of quick passes, a lot of manufactured separation because, let's face it, Zay Jones and Calvin Benjamin just aren't cutting it in the separation uh, standpoint. And I think Zay Jones has six catches right now and he's their leading guy. Uh, as far as receivers go. So when you have that sort of offense where you're not, your receivers aren't winning their battles, but your running backs and your offensive line, and hey, even your quarterback is doing a good job, how effective can you be moving forward and how long can you keep up what they were doing to manufacture that separation? So I think that's that's really where I want to start things today because Brian Dable deserves a ton of credit for his first game, but or for the first win of the season. But what is he? Where did they go from here? I mean, that's to me, it's it's something that might not come as easy as maybe some fans might think. Yeah, I think a few things jump out. I mean, it's easy to say that that's probably not a sustainable performance from the offense for a couple of reasons. Number one is you're not going to have short fields all the time the way that they did. I mean, I think their average starting drive was on, like, the Vikings 40 or something. I mean, it Mm was, um, you know, in that first half, they were playing with very short fields. That'll happen once in a while. It won't happen as often as it did against the Vikings, you know, consistently. And so you have that issue. I think that first drive was a good one, but a third of the yards came from penalties, including a roughing the passer call that if it hadn't been called or if the Vikings hadn't committed that foul, the drive is over. And then, you know, how does that change the outcome of the game? Who knows? I mean, um, but they got the job done with what was in front of them. You can only, you know, score uh, or drive as far down the field um, as you know, what the hand you're given, I guess. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we haven't seen these guys, you know, play from behind and come back in a game uh, and, you know, really close the gap that way and play against a defense, you know, when the game script is flipped like that. We haven't seen them necessarily have these sustained long drives that you look for to 
as a sign of offensive success. And I thought the passing game, like you mentioned, a lot of stuff was schemed open. We mentioned this on the postgame show. 70% of Josh Allen's yards came after the catch. He wasn't throwing the ball over the middle of the field a lot. And, you know, the running, I think, is another interesting element of this. You know, Josh Allen was great with his legs, improvising, extending plays. That might be something that teams catch on to a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not saying they'll necessarily spy him, but they might scheme things up so that, uh, you know, it's a little bit harder for him to escape the pocket and he has to sit back there and, and think about things a little bit more. So I think there's a lot that goes into it once a team has tape on what you did to beat a certain team. And maybe that doesn't catch up to them against the Packers. Maybe it does, or, or maybe it comes down the road, but that's all part of having a rookie quarterback that teams don't know a lot about and that they're still getting used to defending, I think they catch up uh, over time. But it was a good start. It's just Brian Dable has made a point throughout his career to be a matchup-based guy and a Mm -hmm. a game plan-specific guy. So it's safe to say we won't always see the same thing we saw against Minnesota. He'll try to do different things against different defenses to try to keep up this success that they had but there's going to be a temptation there for him to do the same thing as he just did in week three because the other times he tried to do a more I don't want to say basic offensive approach but you know a more generally accepted uh, principle laden one and it kind of blew up in his face I mean the first week of the season they couldn't move the ball I mean they did have Nathan Peterman as the quarterback so I guess that was part of it but even in the second week you know the the first half of of the of the entire game was was not great for for the offense, and they didn't wake up until the second half. Really, um, you know, late in the second quarter, I think is when Josh Allen completed that uh, that deep wobbler to Zay Jones. But still, that was probably the only time where you're like, oh, the offense is is doing a little bit of something, and they ended up getting a field goal from that. So. There has to be at least some amount of temptation from Dable to try and do the same things because he knows what he's dealing with. And this is where it goes to an an individual um, problem as opposed to the offense and the offense's scheme. Because the Bills know where they are the weakest on the offensive side of the ball, and that is at wide receiver. The offensive line has played a lot better than people have given them credit for, and Really, with Russell Bodine, who looked average, but still an upgrade from Ryan Groy, has kind of shorted up. And so now, over the last two weeks, it seems like they've had a solid starting five. Now, you look at the running game, which, by the way, looked a lot better without LaShawn McCoy than it did with LaShawn McCoy. But I guess that's another conversation for another day. Um it seemed like their backs were getting out open into space. Chris Ivory has a has a knack for, you know, sensing the play and when when things break down and finding the open space. He did that. Um, he did that in the Carolina preseason game. I remember he did it. He's surprisingly good catching the ball out of yeah, the backfield for he is. such a big dude. It's because he reads the field and that's where he wins. And then, you know, Josh Allen has been solid to this point not spectacular but they haven't really asked him to go above and beyond it all comes down to the the starting two wide receivers Kelvin Benjamin and Zay Jones 
I mean, more so Benjamin than Jones. He's just been a massive disappointment. And I know we really took him to task on the last podcast. And, I mean, it's you can tell just by the way he performs on film. It's just something isn't there. And Zay Jones isn't getting the separation. And sometimes when they do get the separation, they aren't identified down the field. And it's just, I, I think for the Bills, they need to figure that part out first and I don't know if they have the right guy starting for them right now at, at wide receiver. I wonder if they would benefit from benching Kelvin Benjamin and seeing what Robert Foster could do. Heck, seeing what Andre Holmes could do. I mean, Holmes, although he plays like a like a smaller version of himself, he can still make clutch catches for you. And Foster at least gets separation down the field, even if he's got some problems with his hands. I mean, Benjamin has just been an, a, a flop of, of every sense of the word. So that's why it leads me to believe Dable might think they're think to himself, well, these guys aren't winning. They're, <clears throat> they're just not. So what can I do to counter that? And that's what we saw against Minnesota, which is why I think there's probably a temptation to do the same thing against Green Bay. And I think... You you know, getting the tight ends and the running backs involved in the passing game is very important because they have such, uh, you know, lack of talent on the outside. You can get Jason Kroom involved. You can get Chris Ivory involved, like we mentioned, uh, you know, Kari Lee or Logan Thomas, whoever you choose to make active. You know, those guys can make some plays in the short area of the field for you. And sometimes that's you know, all you need to extend drives and keep things going and keep yourself at least on schedule because there's just not enough big plays being made at wide receiver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Andre Holmes can occasionally come down with a contested catch. Robert Foster keeps getting open and can't seem to make the plays. Maybe that will come. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, I understand why they kept him on the roster because he does create separation like nobody else on the team. But there's a reason a lot of people didn't think he would make the roster, and it's because he can't. He, he's not making the plays. No. I mean, he doesn't have very good catch technique or physicality at the, the catch point, but he is really fast, and that's stuff that you hope you can teach, and maybe it comes along for him later in the year. But, man, he's off to a, a slow start, and it's hard. maybe more opportunities – would help him, but he also seems like a little bit of a one-trick pony mm-hmm. where you send him deep, and that's really all you can do with him. So the other guy I'm interested in, and we saw a little bit of him last week, is Ray Ray McLeod. Sure. Because not necessarily taking the top off the defense, although I think he does have the speed to do it, but more so the quickness out of the slot and creating quick separation to get the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. I'd like to see him get on the field a little bit more, and I think that's a guy they – they would like to have on the field a little bit more now that he's getting healthy and and back to where he is. I mean, he's got a good rapport with Josh Allen, and I think he fits in well with the offensive game plan that we're talking about, what they've been trying to do in terms of getting the ball out quick, um, you know, stuff over the you know stuff that's over the middle of the field but quick, and not necessarily those deeper intermediate stuff. Because I don't know that Ray Ray McLeod's making a ton of plays for you in traffic, but I do think he can make some plays after the catch. Upon seeing his initial role in his first game active, it makes it abundantly clear why they released Jeremy Curley. 
they wanted to bring Ray Ray McLeod along. And, I mean, it's going to be a little slow, but I think slowly but surely, as long as he continues to show signs, they want to incorporate him a little bit and see if he can play. Because that's, after all, that's what this season is all about. Figuring out which of these offensive guys can play for you, can figure into your future. Because a lot of them are going to be gone next year. A lot of them, if not all of them, are going to be gone in two years. So I think I think for that point, that's why McLeod is getting the run that he is in his first game active. And a few points to that, that you brought up. I mean, Robert Foster... I saw him after practice yesterday working on fly routes with Josh Allen and wide receivers coach Terry Rubisky, and the, the focal point was tracking the ball and and where the catch point is. Getting his head up and Get, finding the ball earlier than he's been finding it. But also, as well, I mean, Rubisky is tinkering with his arm extension in the uh, – in the catch process. So rather than extending his arms, he's trying to have him cradle a little bit more and have his elbows in. So I wonder if that's something we see. And he's still battling it because even when it was versus air, there was no defender out there. He was still bobbling it, had one go right through his arms. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing thing for him. And if they can't depend on him to make those catches... So it's all well and good to continue to send him down there, but eventually it there comes a point in time where it's like, well, if you can't do it, then why are we wasting our time? So he's got to get that in order, and I, I'm I'm assuming he's still going to have a role this week, and they're still going to try to trot him out there. I think one guy that has kind of caught my eye, if take it for what it's worth, is the guy they signed on in the practice squad a couple weeks ago, Hunter Sharp. He's a good route runner and and he he can catch the ball off his body and I wonder if there might be something something down the line if there's some injuries or maybe they deal Kelvin Benjamin something like that um, maybe there's a there's a spot open for him or Cam Phillips who who flashed at training camp I feel like there's going to be opportunities for the wide receivers on the practice squad just because nobody's making plays right and so as this year goes on assuming it's still not necessarily a competitive year where they're pushing for the playoffs, they may try some things out and see if one of those guys... Look, it happens in the league where a practice squad guy or an undrafted guy or a late-round pick pops at wide receiver and yep. becomes a good player. I mean, uh, the kid down in Jacksonville, Keelan Cole, is, you know, all of a sudden now looks like a stud. And, you know, he was an afterthought, mm-hmm. um, you know, when he came into the league. So... These things happen. You look around, there. it happens all over the league. So it's not outside the realm of possibility to think one of those guys could exist for the Bills, and wouldn't that be a huge, huge benefit to them if they were to uncover one of these guys? Maybe it is Robert Foster or Ray Ray McLeod, but maybe it is, you know, one of the guys that's on the practice squad right now. And, you know, getting rid of Jeremy Curley, and if they were to be able to swing a deal for Kelvin Benjamin, all that would do is open up more opportunities to potentially find one of those guys because Mm -hmm. you don't find them if you don't give them opportunities. And I think maybe eventually they'll, they'll be willing to do that. What we've already seen early in the season is they're willing to throw Robert Foster out there, even though he's not ready uh, to be, you know, a guy that you count on. 
and they've thrown Ray Ray McLeod right into the action by cutting Jeremy Curley. So they've already shown a tendency to do that. And Sean McDermott is beating the drum of how young this team is and, you know, how, how they're getting all these guys experience. So I think opportunities are there to be had, uh, especially at wide receiver, uh, where it's the worst position on the roster at the moment. And that's saying something because the, you know, there's not a lot of talent on the offensive line either, but it's pretty clear that wide receiver, I think, mm-hmm. is a, a step or two below. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to bring up this name because it just became official right before we started um, recording. Richard Matthews, uh, uh, wide receiver, 28 years old of the Tennessee Titans. Very productive player. Um, he asked for his release from the Titans and was granted his release. And so it, it is an unusual situation that a talented player, a starting caliber player, is on the open market. And this is a multifaceted conversation because while A, you can sit there and go, yeah, put Rashard Matthews out there. He He's likely the top receiver on your roster at that point. However, the other two points you have to consider. B, would he want to come here in Buffalo? If I mean, it seems like targets is what he's after, but... Is he more about winning at this stage of his career as opposed to just um, going somewhere for the sake of, you know, getting a, a bunch of run? And then secondly, does he fit into their plan? And is he someone that they can, that they'll utilize in the sense of trying to help out Josh Allen and trying to help him grow? Or might he figure into something past this season? Or might it be a situation where they just sit there and go, you know what, we've got our young guys in Zay Jones, Robert Foster, Ray Ray McLeod. Try and figure it out with, with those three and then, uh, and then assess the wide receiver position in the 2019 offseason and quite possibly the draft. Um, so there's a lot of different layers to this, but... I mean, it, it's pretty clear that Matthews would be able to come in here and and contribute immediately for this team. Yeah, I think what's interesting there is, I mean, obviously just a couple weeks ago, Vontae Davis retired at halftime, and you're having, you know, bringing in a guy who asked to be cut from his team. Also you know, true. You know, that's probably a factor. They're trying to bring in the right guys. They have a lot of young wide receivers in that room. The other element is Terry Rubisky was the offensive coordinator there for the last two years, 2016 and 2017, mm-hmm. and he's now the wide receivers coach for the Bills. Rashad Matthews was not necessarily complimentary of Terry Rubisky uh, at one point last year, saying he would rather that the Titans go no huddle more so that Marcus Mariota can kind of call the plays on the fly. <laughs> and so... You know, would he be? You don't know what that relationship's like. Would it be one where Terry Rubisky vouches for him and says, This is a talented guy that we should have? Or is it one where, you know, Terry Rubisky says, No, I don't want that guy in the room? Or maybe Rashad Matthews doesn't want to be, you know, maybe he's comfortable being done. Uh, if, you know, it means, I mean, hey, if maybe he, he's just done playing football after playing with Blaine Gabbert, you know, that, that could do that to a man, really, if you think about it. 
Man. You asked for it. You brought up Richard Matthews. I did ask for it. Why else do you think he asked for his release? He had to try to catch passes from Blaine Gabbert for a couple weeks. I know. That'll drive a man insane. Should we rename this podcast the Blaine, <laughs> Blaine Gabbert cast? Blaine cast? My I'll word. It. My word. Um, well, yeah. That that probably, the Robisky factor might kind of cinch it. Um, but... Who knows what that relationship? Sure. Like. Yeah. Yeah. We we don't. We will know. not get the answer from Terry Rubisky. He does not no. talk. No. No. But I think for the Bills, it's at least a conversation worth having. Saying, can this benefit us in the short term? And I think the big, the biggest question is, can this help benefit Josh Allen? And because if you can open up your playbook a little bit more by having someone like Matthews that can actually get separation on the field, then perhaps that would be something worth doing. But if it's going to be too much of a hindrance in terms of bringing along your youth, finding out who can play, and if the time the timeline just doesn't necessarily mesh, plus, if, if I'm Matthews, I'm probably wanting to go to a winner. Like, like somebody, give me a contender. Because, I mean, yeah, the Bills beat the Vikings last week, but they're not going to be contending this year. I mean, they're going to be t- tough outs at... at a certain stage of the season, or or else, I mean, Sean McDermott hopes that, but I think I think he would probably rather want to be with a uh, a contending team that could seriously use help at wide receiver, such so, as the New England Patriots. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. I mean, they bring in Josh Gordon. Hey, why not? Uh, Chris Hogan's there hanging around. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens there, but. I mean, it's it's at least a conversation worth having for the Bills. One last note about the tight ends. Today at practice, Charles Clay was not practicing, which I noticed on the injury report, he was listed as shoulder slash hip and limited. And, and he had the no contact yesterday. And as I well. know I know that Sean before practice had said he was going to be limited. However, I wonder if maybe something happened at practice on Wednesday because, you know, having the the dual injury there is not exactly a great sign. It's not a totally awful sign. I mean, we'll we'll see if he can practice on Friday. But still, you know, that, that would mean not having your starting tight end that, you know, hasn't really done a ton in the first three games. But not having him out at practice on Thursday – not uh, usually Wednesday is the day to to rest him, and Thursday's not not that one. So um, uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens on Friday with him. All right, before we uh, before we get into the the Bills Packers matchup, let's first uh, go into what we're working on. Uh, Matthew, how about you over at the Athletic? Yeah, over at theAthletic.com, posted this morning um, a little bit of. You know, some of the notes from from the week, starting off with Micah Hyde and, um, you know, what what he's feeling heading into this game. Last year, he mentioned that he felt like he got stabbed in the back when the Packers did not want to bring him back. This year, he was a little bit more measured in his comments, but you have to think there's a little bit extra there for him heading into this week. And then we also looked a little bit at the defense you know everybody's looking at the first six quarters as opposed to the last six quarters and the turnaround 
And, you know, Leslie Frazier and Lorenzo Alexander had some interesting things to say there. So that's up. I'm also working on a story um, that should post in the next couple of days, um, hopefully tomorrow, on Chris Ivory. Uh, after he had 120-some yards last week, he's got a kind of a, a strange story um, that – you know, some people know uh, from, you know, time, uh, his previous teams, but he's had a strange journey to get to where he is, and he's a 30-year-old running back out of Tiffin. That's That doesn't happen very often where yeah. you stick around. So yeah. you can go to theathletic.com slash billsbeat and get 40% off, get in the door for a little under $3. And this week, too, Tim Graham put out a story on Kylock Post, so I know it's not football-related. Um, but I think it's a story that all Buffalo sports fans um, would would appreciate uh, reading. Uh, so you can go to theathletic.com slash billsbeat and get 40% off. Yeah, uh, Tim's piece on Kyle Oposo was awesome. I mean, it was, I mean, obviously Oposo didn't want to open up and do uh, too much, but what he did open up with is great so i I, strong, yeah, I, mean, I strongly recommend that um, read. just a mysterious situation a few years ago and him shedding some light on it and you know the, kind of the the dark place he went to for a little while i think was pretty powerful and you've seen now a few guys you know robin laner kyle Poso, these guys that are willing to uh, a flames prospect as well i mean guys that are willing to open up on this and hockey is uh is pretty cool and i think it mm-hmm. it's it will hopefully help uh, a lot of people that struggle with some of the same things. Um, and over at WKBW.com, uh, on Tuesday I did I finished my uh, week three grades and rankings of what the Bills did against the Vikings. And that uh, every single player that had at least uh, 15 snaps, I, I, uh, I graded and, and put them in the rankings. And the other ones that... You know, had like twelve or eleven, and graded them too. But they're just they're just not in the rings because they were kind of in, 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 ah, inconsequential is the word I'm looking for. So um, yeah, that's over at wkbw.com right now. It also has season long grades and uh, as well as the uh, the main takeaways, which one of them is something we have been talking about, which is the the way that the offense manufactured separation, and I wonder if that will continue. For the Bills, and of course, I'll have uh, a preview of the Bills-Packers game coming up on Saturday over at WKBW.com. All right, uh, to the Bills-Packers game. The Bills are once again double-digit underdogs, and probably not surprisingly so, because this is still a team that was blown out their first two games, and they caught Minnesota napping, certainly, and that has to be accounted for. But this game is, again, going to be on the road. They're third and fourth weeks. Third and four weeks, which should, uh, which might play a factor in this. And then, quite obviously, they're going up against one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Aaron Rodgers. So, I think we've been talking about the offensive ton. So, I think we're, we'll kind of start the conversation with this game is what to expect out of this defense against the against Green Bay's offense because it it begins and ends with Rodgers but can this defense have a similar impact the defensive line anyway have a similar impact to what they did against Minnesota and I I kind of from my perspective with how Rodgers deals with pressure as opposed to Kirk Cousins 
I kind of feel like it won't be as big of a deal um, to the Packers as it was the Vikings. No, it's a better quarterback and a better offensive line. So I don't think it's going to be the same type of, you know, consistent onslaught that it was in week three. They can still impact the game. I mean, if they play that way, they're going to, you know, hurry him at times and get him off his spot. And with him dealing with a knee injury, that certainly doesn't hurt. But I think the difference here is. Aaron Rodgers throws with a lot more anticipation, I think, than Kirk Cousins does. He gets the ball out quicker. He recognizes what you're trying to do to him a lot quicker. And you're not going to throw something at him that he hasn't seen before. So I think when you factor all that in, you're probably not looking at a game where he's fumbling the ball away and kind of peeing down his leg the way Kirk Cousins was for much of that first half. You're probably going to see more big plays. um, And... It's not to say that they can't slow Rodgers down. I mean, this this Packers offense with him at less than 100% isn't, you know, the same Packers offense of old. But he's still, I think, the most talented quarterback in the NFL. And playing at home, uh, you know, those guys play well at home. And I'll be interested to see how the injury report shakes out for them, you know, with mm-hmm. Jimmy Graham and a few other key players. And I know he practiced today. Jimmy so, did. you know, they should they're going to be banged up. They might not be missing guys, but guys will be banged up and Rogers included. I just don't know that you're going to, I mean, just like they're not going to play like they did against the Ravens every week. They're not going to play like they did against the Vikings every week. Cause things basically went perfectly for them. And, and that's just not how the NFL works, but I do think you're going to get closer to that group and I'll be interested to see how they, they manage with pressure. They're also going to be a lot more, you know, they're going to be a lot healthier um, you know, Philip Gaines looks like he'll be back, so they're going to have basically their their full complement of players. Um, that should uh, certainly help the Bills in this one, but I still don't know that you bet on anybody to completely shut Aaron Rodgers down. Yeah, that that's probably a non-starter because he can do the job against the best of defenses. Not to say that the Bills are a bad defense. I think they showed that they're probably somewhere in the middle. Um based off the first three weeks or so. But, I mean, Rodgers can eat up a weakness. And I, it, it, to me, I think one of the, the key spots here is that uh, other cornerback spot. Um, you mentioned Philip Gaines. He still has that robotic brace yes, on, he does. On, his, on his arm. And even though it he's... Quite the, uh, quite the brace. I know. It, it extends from mid-forearm to mid-bicep, no joke. And it's it's on both sides. It's there to, like, make sure the elbow doesn't fall out of place, which probably leads me to believe, like, why is he playing then? <laughs> like, like shouldn't, he, shouldn't you just let his elbow heal? But the other question I have is whether or not Philip Gaines will actually start. I mean, Ryan Lewis played... About an average level. He wasn't really tested all that much by Kirk Cousins. I mean, the pass rush definitely helped things out by getting there quickly enough and um, and being able to make sure that any potential weaknesses weren't taken advantage of. But, you know, Lewis has some serious speed, and it seems like he's a pretty fluid mover, and it seems like his reaction time, just based on what, I've seen from him in the Vikings game and at practice 
seems like it it's it's there a little bit and he also doesn't have a fractured elbow so i wonder if maybe the bills just go into this game have gains available to them if they need him but have lewis start the game i i think he did fine enough to to warrant uh, another another look here yeah that's one of those situations where you know they're not getting they don't have an established guy and they're not getting incredible play out of philip Gaines even when he's in there so you don't have any obligation to put him back in uh even when he's healthy and Mm -hmm. like you said we don't know that he's 100 percent healthy i mean full participation whatever you know cool but he he still has a pretty heavily wrapped elbow on that that dislocated elbow so i think you know Ryan Lewis playing the way that he did again you don't know what these young players can do until you give them the opportunity and he played really well with the opportunity he had maybe he can stick around and be a guy that you know contributes for you and if you if you find a guy like that then you know that's where the development of a team can speed up very quickly because you know he's on a cheap deal he's young and that's how you build a winner is if you find guys late that can, you know, be on cheap deals for you for a while, then, you know, you build your roster around those, you know, guys like that. So I wouldn't be opposed to seeing them give him another shot. And then you still have the depth. Uh, the beauty of that is, you know, Philip Gaines, you still have the depth because he can play nickel and outside. So he's kind of the perfect guy to have as your fourth corner because he can do filling in a pinch for whoever gets hurt. Right. Um, right. And, you know, Ryan Lewis can't necessarily do that. He maybe could. I think they've given him a little bit of time to show that he can play nickel, but they want him outside. I think yeah. that's where he, he belongs. And, you know, you don't want to have the situation you had before with Raphael Bush having to get forced into the nickel corner spot. His, his first week here, Lewis, um, they, they worked him at nickel. But then once he got added to the practice squad, they moved him outside. And then when he was brought back on the active roster, he was outside again. Um, I think another contributor to this discussion is with Ryan Lewis, you have control over him. I mean, with Philip Gaines, odds are you're not going to be going too far into the future with, with him on your roster or in a starting position. But with Lewis, he's a 24-year-old guy. He signed to a one-year deal, and which would make him the old Urfa, the exclusive rights free agent, which essentially means, hey, you sign the tender, or you quit the NFL. Imagine <laughs> that. Look at your rights. Good deal. Here's what you have. So, and the Bills would then have him as a restricted free agent the year after that, and then, you know, they they basically control him for the next two or three years. And that's a good spot to be in if if you're the Bills and, and you see him as someone with some potential. So perhaps they give him a shot out there. And with what you said, with Gaines having the flexibility to do just about anything for you, although not really being a great player by any means, but having having that ability, I, I think that's a... Uh, that's part of this, and so I, I would not be shocked to see Ryan Lewis be the starter over Philip Gaines this, this weekend against Green Bay. All right, quickly, um, the offense and how it stacks up against the Green Bay defense. I would like to see Josh Allen uh, 
push the ball over the middle a little bit. I think there is some area to do that against this Green Bay team. I know their um, their inside linebacking play hasn't exactly been great so far this season. Um, so I, I would like to see them and try to utilize some slants and um, Charles Clay over the middle if he's able to play, if not Jason Kroom slash Kari Lee, whoever it is that they, that they have out there. You know, just to open up that part of his game as well and then mix in Robert Foster so that way um, the, these teams don't creep down on you because that's the last thing you want. I mean, you, you showed a lot of a short passing attack, a lot of yards after the catch last week, and you don't want um, teams to pin you in, and so you have to do something to counteract that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how this Packers defense holds up because they got gashed a bit by the Redskins last week, both on the ground, and they weren't tackling particularly well. So that bodes somewhat well for the Bills, who you know leaned on that short passing game and the running game without a ton of success. I mean, Chris Ivory had 20 carries for like 50 yards, so it wasn't uh, a huge, huge success for them. But if they're having trouble tackling, that kind of plays into the Bills' hands a little bit. The big question is, you know, what it, what are we going to see from Clay Matthews? I mean, he's I he's the guy that continues to get sacks but keeps getting penalties. He can't seem to figure out the new roughing the passer rule, and it seems like well, can he's, you? he's the subject of the most controversial call every week. So um, it's not – I mean, most of the defensive players in the league agree with Clay Matthews. I think most sane humans agree with Clay Matthews on – some of these calls that are getting called against him, but I'm curious if it'll factor in at all for him, if it's going to be in his head at all. Um, I would hazard a guess as to no, but the fact that it's happened twice to him, you never know if it creeps into his psyche a little bit. And that obviously would be a big help uh, because that's a guy that can change the game for the Packers. And especially against this offensive line, he's going to move around and pick his spot. He's not really a guy that's locked into one side of the field or the other and he's the you know the x factor for that defense and if he's hesitant at all or not quite himself you know because of what's been happening that's a good thing for the bills Mm -hmm. and nick perry probably won't play in this game it looks like which is another you know bonus for them because that's a a key piece of green bay's defense helps Deion dawkins certainly um all right so as for the picks we both got last week wrong i mean everybody in america outside of one bill's drive um, got that game gone uh, wrong, basically. But I think uh, in this game, there will be <clears throat> a bit of a regression to the mean for both the offense and the defense. Um, uh, and while it's not as talented a roster that they're going up against, it's a more talented quarterback. And a lot of times that's that's the, uh, the gap that is bridged, or the bridge to the gap, so to speak. So I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. But you know what? I'll take them by seven. I think the Bills beat the spread. It's ten and a half. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say the Bills keep this one somewhat tight and then, and then pull within ten at the end of the game. I think it went – it started at ten and a half. I think in some places it's even at like nine and a half. Mm. But – even if we're picking at ten and a half, I'm taking the Packers and the points. I think uh, the Packers cover that spread. Um, I don't think that this, when everything went right for the Bills, everything that could have possibly gone right went right. 
Josh Allen fumbled the ball three times, and they recovered all three of them. Uh, timely penalties seemed to go against the Vikings, even though the Bills were the more penalized team. And the defense played out of its mind and caught the Vikings on a very bad day. Mm-hmm. So I'm not betting on Josh Allen against Aaron Rodgers. Can't do no, it. Um, no, you can't. And the spread is beatable, I think. Uh, it's a big one, and we don't know which version of the Bills we're going to get. But Also, I think the talent gap between the Packers and the Vikings outside of the quarterback position should be factored in a little bit, too. For sure. Yeah. And and that's uh, it's an interesting spread because I think there's still so much unknown in the NFL, and yep. we don't know. I think the Bills are closer to the Week 3 team than they are to the Week 1 and 2 team, but how much closer remains to be seen. And third road game in four weeks, coming off an emotional win against the Vikings, I think this could be tough sledding for them. And I think the the Packers win, I'll say 27-13. to 13. All right. So uh, we both have the Packers uh, in this game, and the Bills will be looking to even out their record at 2-2 two and two for the season if they don't then it will be a 1-3 opening quarter of the season. All right, so for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscaglia. The next time we talk to you will be at Lambeau Field. I can't wait. I know you can't either, so it, it'll be good. Um, we'll, uh, we will talk to you then, and uh, we'll see if the Bills can actually pull another upset. See ya.